because you're jumping back into the gap. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome Jury Head Coach Amy Egan to share the game with us. In her first year as head coach at Jury, Coach Egan guided the program to an NCAA Division II runner-up finish for the second time in program history. The team won their fifth straight Great Lakes Valley Conference Championship and produced the NCAA Division II Player of the Year for a third straight season. Egan came to Drury after a successful tenure as head coach at Truman State. In six seasons with Truman State, she became the program's all-time leader in career coaching wins and winning percentage, posting a mark of 111-62 and 62 for a 64% winning percentage. Coach Egan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, a lot of fun to talk to you. Um, unique in your situation was you're a very successful coach at Truman State, and you left that program to come to Drury, uh, which Molly Miller was the head coach at the time. And I'm guessing part of that was with the expectation that possibly Molly was leaving at some point, or was that part of the equation? Yeah, you know, um, first of all, the tradition of winning here and uh, the resources, the people here had a lot to do with it. You know, I think. Anytime you work really, really hard as a head coach and, um, you know, I I think you want to win, you know, and and the opportunity to do that at Drury because of the people and the resources there. So, you know, with Molly having so much success uh, and us having a relationship through the coaching world, you know, uh, I kind of knew that she was probably going to going to look to to move on uh, into a different position. So uh, when she had an assistant job opened uh, with some communication, nothing guaranteed. Um, you know, I took the risk of coming down here to, to work for her and you learn from her too. I mean, who wouldn't want to learn, you know, from, from a very successful coach. So having that opportunity to come down and do those things, um, was, was intriguing to me. And, um, I, I really had a, a great year, obviously doing that and learning a lot of things. And then, you know, with her taking that job during COVID, you never know what can happen, but things turned out, uh, pretty good for me. And, uh, last year was a lot of fun. So. It seemed like a lot of fun, and, uh, <laughs> more fun to come coach, uh, great team coming back. And, uh, you know, the foundation is there for you to continue your success there. And, uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. And, uh, you call yourself a relation, a relationship based coach. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, in everything that I do, I believe in right and wrong and believe in forming relationships uh, that lead past just me coaching them. You know, um, you know, someone once asked me, how do you know when, you know, you're a successful coach? And I think a lot of that's when, you know, they become moms and, and wives and, you know, those kind of things and, uh, what you teach them and, and how you're still involved in their life. And, uh, to me, that's important. It's not about just the X's nose and winning. Uh, it's about having those relationships that I can help guide them through lifelong stuff if they need lifelong stuff. And, um, I, I just enjoy that part. And I think it's something that's important, not only just, um, you know, in the world of, of coaching, uh, but also in life. Absolutely. Such a big part of coaching and our responsibility as coaches and uh, getting into the practical details of that. What are some of the most effective ways that you've found to be able to nurture and build these relationships? 
Yeah. I, I think the first thing is just being honest, you know, with, with people. Um, I think, you know, whether it's recruiting recruits that come to campus or when they're here, I mean, we have a lot of honest conversations with them. And I think when you do that, and then at the same time, you're, you show them that you care about them, you know, you're talking to them about, you know, things outside of basketball, you're, you're making sure they're doing things in the classroom, you're talking to them about their families, you know, um, I think that that just plays a really, really big part in it. Um, so I think, you know, that is one way to, I think, start the, the, the relationship uh, with them as being honest. I think you gain a lot of respect in those ways. But then when you dive deeper into them and getting to know them outside the basketball part of it, I, th- I think that really, really takes it to the next level. So I would say, you know, those are the things that I try to do from a relationship part of it. Um, you know, and then when they leave, like, you know, yesterday I, I sent one of our kids that uh, graduated last year just a text and said, hey, how's it going? You know, uh, how are you doing in nursing school? You know, those kind of things just to check in on them and, and let them know that, you know, I still care about them. It wasn't just about them trying to win games for us, um, but that we still care about them and that uh, we still want them around the program. So you talked about honesty. So maybe give us an insight in terms of how you have those honest conversations, especially the difficult ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there uh, a lot of times when you're honest, they are difficult, you know, um, totally. and yeah, yeah. You know, even in the recruiting process, you know, um, I think, you know, you obviously when you recruit, you know, the kids get to see uh, a side of you that's different, even when they're there a little bit, but we talk about that, you know, I'm recruiting you, I'm selling you on this place. Um, we're telling you everything that's good, but when you get here, it's really hard, you know, and this is what the hard looks like here while you're here. Um, this is where we see you in our program. Like, you know, not everybody comes in as an immediate impact kid. Um, some kids are recruited to, to say, Hey, you know, you you have this player in front of you, that's an all American, but this is what we see you doing in the next couple of years in our program. And just not giving them any false expectations really in the recruiting process. Um, and sometimes, you know, kids, you know, that's not what they want to hear. Maybe families, that's not what they want to hear. But then if it's not, it's probably, they're probably not the right fit for us in the, in, you know, in the long run with it. So that's where we, we really kind of start that process with them. Um, you know, we, we sell them on jury and everything we have to offer here, but we also let them know that like winning a national championship is not easy. You know, um, I tell this story a lot about last year and how, you know, from even the outside, I think everything that, uh, you know, you go to the national championship game and we come up a little short, but everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, all year, this is awesome. This is awesome. But we had a lot of like really hard times, you know, as the program, uh, a lot of hard conversations, um, a lot of things we had to work through and build from. So just letting kids know up front that, you know, um, it is still a little bit like a job, you know, it's, we try to make it a fun job, uh, but it is a job. It's not, uh, I'm going to go play college basketball. And it's going to be just fun, you know, the whole time. And then, you know, when they get here, uh, you know, we talk a lot about roles with them and, uh, you know, where we see them and, and what they need to get better at. And, um, and, and a lot of those conversations are hard too, you know, uh, with it, but, uh, I think, again, if you show them that you care about them and, and care about them outside of basketball, I think it makes some of those conversations a little bit easier. Well, maybe let's let's go into those roles a little bit deeper because it's such an abstract concept in a way to some coaches to understand. But take us through, like, I'm one of your players. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously <laughs> not going to play as much. I'm not going to play as much as I think I am. So take me through that. How do you create that role and define that role for me? Yeah. So I, I tried to have uh, conversations where I give uh, our players and let our players uh, really dive into themselves a little bit. 
and have some uh, thoughts on themselves first. So, you know, I'm probably going to ask you, you know, what do you feel like on our team or in our program you do well? You know, uh, what can you bring on a day-to-day basis uh, for us to be successful? So we'd probably start with a lot of, of, of those conversations. Uh, we've probably already had conversations about, you know, this kid is a, you know, as, as an All-American is in front of you or, you know, those kind of things. Uh, but if not, we'd, we'd kind of re-talk about that, you know. Uh, but I think, you know, when you talk about whether it's a kid, like if you're talking about you coming and, and playing and every kid can have a role in your program and have a, an important role in your program. And so getting them to buy in role with the understanding of, Hey, then at the end of it, this is what you need to continue to do and build on to get yourself into that next role. Um, and that's, that's really, really what we, we, we really try to do with them. I think, um, most of our kids, because, uh, of how we approach things, um, you know, we, we try to get them to understand you're not great at everything you know, uh, and I think that's sometimes hard for them uh, at first. Um, but let's be, let's look at you versus your teammates and you versus yourself and what you're good and what you need to get better at. And, um, we help guide them through that, but we really try to get them to to really discover that themselves. It's great stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you've talked about this in some of your interviews and you mentioned this is that you, you coach with passion and love, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. How do we create that atmosphere for ourselves as a coach that it's okay to have fun and it's okay to enjoy coaching yeah. and to create this? This is such a serious business, but it's really not. Yeah. You know, it's 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 something I think you kind of almost. I think it's hard as a young coach. It is because you know you feel that pressure of of building and moving on. And you know, I think I've done uh, with myself a lot of self talk in regards to like you know, the end all for me is not winning, you know, um, that's important, you know, and how do you have that balance of, you have to, you have to win to keep a job, but also that balance of that's not what it's about with the kids. You know, it's, it's about growing them into phenomenal young women and, um, you know, helping them learn how to do things and right and wrong and, and those kind of things. So it's always a balance and sometimes it's hard and, you know, it's hard on tough days and, how you handle that, I think, shows everyone a lot about you and, and your character in that. But um, it is a, in a world of, you know, win, win, win. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it is important in regards to keeping your job. But I have really, really worked on myself and just, um, you know, talking myself into the fact that if we do things, if we grow kids, if we grow people in our program, those things are going to transition to wins as well. And uh you know, another challenge that I know you must have faced is obviously taking over for a successful coach yeah. who leaves and then also being able to blend what you learned from her and the style that worked for their players and now what you believe in your style uh, and meshing those things together. Can you talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because on the interview process, uh, that was one of the questions they asked me, how are you going to how are you going to handle following Molly Miller? And, you know, I, I think, you know, they always say, don't follow the goat, follow the next one that's, that's not successful. But, you know, I think I've, um, you know, I've been a head coach I, and I've been a successful head coach and I'm very uh, confident in, in who I am and how I do things with our kids and, um, and my work ethic and all that. So, you know, I simply told them, I'm just going to be myself. Like uh, I'm going to be myself. Um, like I said, I had the ability to, to really learn some really great things from Molly and, 
Uh, I think what, what I've done is really taken the things I liked from that and blended it with a lot of things that I like to do um, and really gotten better, to be honest, uh, with, with some defensive stuff, especially, I think. Um, so I think, you know, the ability to, to learn from her and, and to take that um, was, was a great opportunity for me. Um, one of the things I always say that I'm very, very proud of with our kids is that, um, you know, last year I took over a program that was 32 and 0 uh, the year year before, and you know we graduated some phenomenal athletes, some really really good athletes. Uh, four of probably the best athletes to go through here, two All Americans, you know, the the Division Two Player of the Year. And I sat there and I asked our kids and told our kids, you know, if we play the exact same way that you guys played. Uh, when we were 32 and 0, we're going to lose a lot of games. I really believe that we just weren't as athletic. Uh, we just didn't have the depth. I mean, we finished the year with 11 kids to be able to do those things for 40 minutes. Um, and so I asked them to really change uh, some of the things that we did and who we were. Um, and they just said, coach, you tell us what to do. We just want to win a national championship. And they really just bought into that. And for kids that are 18 to 22 year olds, to be able to, to understand that and buy into that, I think is really, really hard. Um, and I'm just really, really proud of them for that. So, you know, last year, what, what everyone saw, uh, you know, in regards to our team was completely different than, than what they had seen in, in years past here. Now, I, I think, you know, the style of play that has been here that, that Molly had in that, um, you know, the fast style of play, which I think sometimes pressing, you know, increases that, um, I, I really like that. I think it's fun to watch. I think it's fun to, 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 you know, coach. I think the kids like it. Uh, and we'd like to get back to that. I think we're, we're a lot more athletic this year where we'll be, we'll be doing a, a little bit more of that, but again, we're going to do whatever we need to do to put our kids in a position to win. Well, t- testament to your success, obviously that you're able to make that transition and uh, be incredibly successful and to your players as well and staff who adapt it. And uh, one of the things that you talk about is that, uh, you build your offense and your defense around your skill and talent, which in this example applies perfectly, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, when, when people ask me about that and, you know, what we do X's no, I say, Hey, just watch, you know, two years ago versus, versus last year and what we had to do and change and uh, adjust to. And, you know, I never, ever would have thought uh, that we would be in a final four division two final four uh playing 38 minutes of zone and uh and win that game because we played a zone and I really believe that's why we won that game you know we we played a team that was very athletic we couldn't match up with a man-to-man we were struggling uh we went to zone and um they struggled with the zone and so we stayed in it and I think that was a big reason why why we were able to win that game and go into that uh national championship game so I think you know for us we recruit kids that we want to fit our style of play, right? But I don't think you ever truly know the kid until they get in your program, you know, whether it's how coachable they are, or how quickly they're going to get it, any of those kind of things. Um, you know, you try to do your homework, you try to do your research, but you don't, you don't really, really know. Uh, but we recruit a certain style of kid hoping that they are that, but we're going to put our kids in the best position to be successful. And that may look a little different every single year, um, depending on how those kids, you know, transition into our program and so forth. So uh, this year will look different than last year, both offensively and defensively uh, with it, because we graduated some good players because we have a lot of good players coming back. Um, It's just not going to be the same thing every single year. Saying that though, are there some non-negotiables that always will be part of coach Egan's program? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we have standards uh, within our program that 
you know, we, we expect to happen with, uh, you know, playing hard. Um, I mean, I do, I do believe defense wins championships. So whether you're pressing, whether you're playing half court, whether you're playing, playing zone, I mean, our kids are going to play hard. Uh, they're going to, they're going to hold to some of our defensive principles that are standards. Um, and, you know, more than anything, uh, you know, we want our kids to play together. We want them to be a team. Uh, I think that's so important to, um, to winning, you know, having that culture of, of kids that really believe in what you're doing, believe in each other, uh, play for each other. Uh, and that's what we really, really try to get our kids to do here. Now, Coach Miller's teams were denial on defense, even in the half court. So was that, was that still part of it or did you have to dial them back a little bit? Yeah. Uh, last year we had to dial them back a lot. Um, because, you know, we, when, when Molly was here, we'd fly around all over, you know, um, and just keep rotating. And, uh, and last year we couldn't do that just because of depth and athleticism and those kind of things. So we dialed it back a lot. We still played denial, but it, it wasn't even close to uh, the principles of the, of the year before with it. Um, and we, you know, for our kids, it was just about explaining that to them and talking to them about that. Um, you know, when, when Molly was here, we didn't have to work on rebounding and we led the nation in rebounding. Uh, last year, we worked a lot on rebounding, you know, on the technique of rebounding and those kind of things. So again, it's just, it's just different based on, on personnel and, and, you know, who you have. Uh, I've played denial defense. I've done gap defense. You know, I've pressed, I've not pressed. I've done a two, two, one. I've done a little bit of everything kind of in my career. So I feel pretty comfortable with a lot of that. Um, but I do like when you can press, when you can deny, because it just it speeds up the game. And that's hard for kids to play against for 40 minutes. Spoken like a coach that's coached at different levels and has to adapt yeah. constantly to imperfect rosters, isn't it? Yep, <laughs> that's about right. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, Coach, from you, uh, and I got a chance to watch you at the Missouri Basketball Clinic present and uh, shout out to Sean Erickson and all the organizations. There's a great job there, but... One of my favorite quotes was the best thing about this offense is you technically don't make mistakes. You learn how to fix everything by balancing the floor. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So, you know, um, we, we teach a lot of uh, principles. Um, we, we ran a little bit of the dribble drive and read and react, the mixture of it. You know, last year we did a lot more dribble drive and a lot more ball screen stuff. Uh, but in years past, I'd run a little bit of the mixture of dribble drive and read and react. And, you know, one of the things I've really found about um, that offense is that um, it, it really, if you can teach kids spacing and pace of game and reads, um, you know, you can almost run about anything uh, and, and you don't make mistakes. And I think what that offense does is it really teaches them spacing um, and, and simple reads, you know, whether it's backdoor reads or it's reads in the post. Um, so if you can implement a lot of that easy stuff and teach them that initially, I think it makes everything else so much easier. If you use screening action or not screening action or, you know, dribble drive, those kind of things. Um, because if you, if, if you can play in space, um, with a pace, I think you can, and they can learn how to make reads. I think you can run about anything. So can you give us an idea of your ideal spacing template then? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we talk about like NBA spacing is how we kind of approach it with them. So, uh, you know, we're playing a, a foot outside the three point line, uh, with it. I think it helps open gaps, you know, for dribble penetration, um, you know, those kind of things with some space in the middle of the floor. We try to attack the middle of the floor probably 90% of the time, no matter what offense we're in. We just talk a lot about that because, uh, what I found in our league um, is that a lot of people are 
you know, force baseline and their health baseline, that kind of stuff. So we want to make them uncomfortable and put them in situations where they got to figure stuff out. So we try to attack the middle of the floor, whether it's off closeouts, off passes, you know, any of that kind of stuff as much as we can with it. Um, but our spacing then, you know, uh, it, it, it kind of depends a little bit too on, on uh, some of our personnel. I mean, if we have uh, kids that can shoot it, we'll really try to space it because they're technically probably not going to help off of them. We'll try to drive those gaps, you know, that kind of stuff. And we'll, we'll teach our kids and talk a lot about those kind of things with it. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll go wing wings for us can be free throw line extended, could be corners, uh, again, depending. Uh, and then we usually go, we call it seams, you know, free throw line extended up top on both sides. Uh, it's typical what I, I what I would say is it's four out one in type stuff. I mean, uh, sometimes you could run a five out with it if you wanted to do that, especially you know now when, when it's hard to find some some back to the basket post players with it, uh, you're able to do that as well with it. So it, it is, I think, just about um, you know teaching your kids what that spacing is when somebody drives at you. And you know we fell behind. Some people slide. We fell behind um, for the reason of I don't want my kids you know, throwing through hands and that kind of stuff. And everybody's different with what they teach and what they believe with it. But I think that's just really a big part of any kind of offense. Absolutely. Everyone's a little bit different. And uh, I know one thing that you're into is transition and transition into attack and uh, react, you know, conceptual type offense. So maybe let's start Mm -hmm. with what are some of the transition fundamentals that are important to you in your program? Yeah. So um, we, I always tell our kids transition is our first offense, whether it's a make or miss. Um, I think transition on misses is maybe a little bit easier um, because, you know, the defense is a little bit more behind you, behind you and uh, trailing sometimes depending on where the rebound goes. So, uh, but our transition is always going to be our first offense. Um, you know, we, I try to keep it kind of like I, I did the, the clinic pretty black and white with, with everything. Like our kids know what lanes they're going to run. So uh, we're not having them like who's throwing the ball in. Oh, I'm throwing the ball in. You're throwing the ball in. Um, we try to keep it really, this is who's throwing the ball in, let's go, you know, type stuff. Um, our point guard typically brings it up on, on makes, you know, um, and what I've found is every year, that's a little bit different. I mean, this year for us, honestly, our one, two or three are PG, they're point guards. So they, any of them could really bring it up, but we'll kind of designate somebody to do that, uh, on makes, uh, and then we run wide and we run to the corners. We try to flatten out the defense. Um, our first post player, which is our five on makes, but on misses could be either past half court, uh, rim runs. Uh, and then our, our, our second post player always runs trailer, uh, with it. And, you know, we're always looking first for over the top to our, our post player and diagonal. Those are our first two things. And sometimes that diagonal could even be with the PG crossing the nail. You know, um, I think, you know, we always tell our kids, we want to do what we don't want people to do to us. You know, and when people can cross the nail and cross the court, um, that's hard to, for changeover, you know, having to change sides of the floor to change over to. So we're trying to do things and put them in situations that are uncomfortable. Um, so that's kind of the basis of it. Um, you know, we give our kids a lot of freedom within that to, to make plays. Um, but I think if you can flatten out the defense and you have a, a point guard that can get downhill and is pretty shifty, um, you can get some really easy looks. Talk to us about the main benefit of crossing the nail with the pass or with the dribble. Yeah, I just think, you know, when, whenever you can do that, um, I think, you know, you talk about your, you might have a trait, you might have a trailing defender uh, with it, but, you know, you're putting people, I think, in a lot of closeout situations. And that's what we like to attack is closeout situations with it. Uh, not when they're already there. You know, you walk the ball up or, or bring the ball to the same side of the floor. It's easy to get in denial. 
you know, it's easy to, to guard the ball. Uh, but if you can cross the nail uh, and create an advantage there uh, and pass and then attack, like attack a closeout, I think it really, really helps. Hey coach, brief interruption of our podcast to talk about basketballimmersion.com. The best player development is coach development. Many websites will provide you ideas on what to teach with a massive content dumping. Our website shares what to teach too, but with a focus on how to teach, how to add challenges, how to create random practice, how to create game-like training, how to connect and transfer practice skills to game applications, and so much more, including 70-plus masterclasses from coaches from around the world. Basketball Immersion is an online basketball coach education platform. Go to basketballimmersion.com to learn more today. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, once, once we're obviously into it, transition at game speed, how are you developing this concept of getting players to play fast? I know this was a, uh, Molly Miller concept too, is to try and yeah. get them to stay at that speed that other teams don't want to play at. Yeah. I think, uh, you recruit that first kids with motors. I mean, uh, if you don't have a motor, probably can't play here, you know? Um, you can create a little bit of that and extend their motor through conditioning. You know, we do a lot of conditioning. We do a lot of running, um, not the most fun thing to do, but we do a lot of it. But, um, you know, when we get to season, we try to do a lot of that, a lot more of that in practice, not just running, you know, with it. Um, I think if you can do it in practice and do it in five on five situations, full court type stuff, if they can get their conditioning, doing it that way, it's the best, um, for them too. And they enjoy that a lot more than just running, you know, with it. Um, so we'll do, you know, I think that's the first two ways that, that it kind of starts with it. Um, and then a lot of stuff, I mean, you know, you talk about, uh, breakdown stuff for us. We don't do a lot of like, um, break like shell. Um, we do it like, we probably do it twice to like teach them kind of, Hey, these are what it looks like. Like if you're in denial, you're one pass away. So it looks like they're two passes away. That's what it looks like. If you're guarding the post, you know, uh, this is how you defend the post based on where the ball is. So we'll use shell for a little bit of that, but we do almost everything on a live action um, because I could roll out a ball and you could do uh roll out closeouts, but until you do it live, you don't really learn your speed versus their speed. Um, you know, how to handle first dribbles, those kind of things. So we try to do a lot more of a live type action. And I think that helps with a lot of their conditioning and their motors too with yeah. it. No doubt, no doubt. A lot of yeah. live play and connects obviously decisions to the game as well. Um, so within that live play, is it a lot of five and five or more small sided games or a little bit of combination of both? Uh, I would say we do uh, a lot of three on three to start. I ask them to cover a lot of ground with a lot of stuff. Um, I think, you know, if you cover, you can learn to cover a lot of ground, whether it's covering a lot of ground closeout wise and how to handle it. Um, I think if you can cover a lot of ground, you can, you can, it's going to make four and four and five and five a little bit easier for you. Uh, so we do a lot of three on three to start, uh, we'll build a four on four and then we'll build a five on five. And, um, you know, I make our post players play down in the perimeter, just like I make them play our guards play in the post. So we work a little bit on all that. And, and some of that too is, I mean, um, I think this year we'll have a good opportunity to switch one through five with stuff. Uh, we'll be pretty big and long and, and those kind of things. So, uh, but I think it's good for them to also understand that, you know, when we teach post defense um, to our post players, um, our guards are there listening and, and taking in because they need to know, you know, they need to know how we're defending in the post with our post players so they can help each other out and they can coach each other and, and give each other reminders and those kind of things too. So, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, like I said, that live action stuff, I think is, is just really, really good. 
Love it. And uh, you talked about kind of set set spots in terms of the initial transition, but once they're into the half court, it, it is more conceptual and less positional, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. I think, um, you know, whether it's offensive or defensive for us, I mean, it doesn't technically matter uh, with stuff with how we play. Um, so it is understanding the concepts of, Hey, this is, you know, like our half court man to man, we, we want to keep it at the ball on the middle of the floor. So uh, find a way to do that. I don't, necessarily care exactly i mean we'll teach you and show you how to do it but if we have some really good athletes that it ain't going to matter how their footwork is because they can just do it you know and then we have others that we have to break down a little bit more with it so um we have some some definitely some some conceptual stuff with it that we use that we ask the kids um to really just just buy into you talked about uh, that that concept of obviously players being able to be free and make decisions in the half court is there a certain trigger that helps them understand what they should do? Do you use triggers or do you use concepts that uh, help them highlight, say, whether they should pass and cut or they should pass and screen or what's happening? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just depends again on year to year and, and kid to kid with that. I think, again, we have conversations with them of what they're really, really good at, uh, what they should look to do, you know, uh, what they bring to the table offensively, those kind of things. Um, we don't use, I mean, um, we won't use a ton of like screening action unless it's quick hitters. Cause we'll have some quick hitters. So usually what we do is because I think it's important for kids to still understand the game and understand, you know, screening action, how to defend it, those kind of things, uh, how to read it offensively. So we spend a lot of like our off season, um, teaching them parts of the game that we kind of use, but we don't fully use. Um, so they understand that. So like our kids, you know, if we run a quick hitter and, and it involves a down screen, if they're going to chase you, this is your read. If they're going to go under, this is your read. They'll know those things, but it's not something we spend a ton of time on because we don't use a lot of screening action within what we do, you know, with it. Um, and then it's kind of the same, you know, um, I mean, we use a lot of ball screen action, but not everybody in our program comes off ball screens. So the kids that come off ball screens, you know, uh, we'll really, really work with them uh, during the season. The other kids will learn it in the off season you know, uh, with, with what to do and how to handle it. Cause I, I, again, I think it's important that they understand those concepts with it. So it's a, it's a little bit of both, you know, with them. And it's a little bit of year to year, depending on some personnel and those kind of things. Well, it's, that's a good, fascinating comment. And uh, I love the idea because obviously you're developing their overall IQ, which leads to you being able to be more adaptable as a coach as well, because they now have a better understanding of what overall could happen at any point. So what, what have you found with that? Have you found that your players appreciate that they understand the other roles of players? Absolutely. I, th I, I definitely think so. Um, I think they, I, I mean, it's been beneficial too, you know, for, like you said, there, there's some situations you can't control, you know, last year, even with COVID, we had a game where we had some, some kids out and we were putting kids in roles that uh, they hadn't been in, but because we had worked on it a little bit in the off season or because, uh, they had watched it. They kind of understood it when like, Hey, I've never, ever done this before, seen this before type stuff. Um, and we try to do that as an overall program as well. Like, um, you know, some people ask me like, what was the difference when you played Lubbock, uh, you know, in, in that championship game between you and Lubbock. And I said, Lubbock, I felt like if I would have thrown a random one, three, one at him that had never ran, he would have been prepared for it, you know? And because of our short time with our kids last year and COVID, uh, in the short amount of time we had with them, we weren't prepared for everything. 
Um, and that was, that was hard, you know, that was hard, um, because, uh, that's typically who we are. Like we try to get them ready for, Hey, we may not see this year. We may see this this year, but this is how you handle a one, three, one, you know, um, these are your looks with a one, three, one, those kind of things. I think kids, if you kind of at least give them a, a little bit of ideas with that and let them do it a little bit, at least if they're put in that situation, they're a little bit more comfortable with it. Not that they're great at it, but, uh, at least it's not a surprise to them. And with that, you talked about dribble drive, you talked about dribble penetration being a foundation Mm -hmm. of what you do. So are you attacking? Are you trying to hunt specific matchups out of scout or are you trying to get certain of your players into the uh, driving and spacing spots? We'll do a little bit of both. Um, You know, we when we have scouts, um, you know, I can say very easily say, hey, this kid is not very athletic. Uh, she's not very good defensively and our kids know that that's a kid then if they're guarding hey I can attack this kid off a closeout I can attack this kid off a gap you know those kind of things you know what what I have found at at our level division two you know and and I kind of said this in in the uh in our in our uh, NBCA clinic but we don't have a lot of kids that can just play one-on-one and break a kid down you know so we've got to be able to create some situations that are advantages for our kids within the offense and and so forth so they'll know who's not as athletic or who's not as good defensively and then you know but if there's a if it's one of our kids in our team and they just can't dribble they know they're not going to attack what they can't do you know type stuff so they're still played to their strengths but um they'll understand through scout kind of some situations that we can take advantage of even in the post you know we may have a a post and this, Hey, this kid comes in the game. We need to, we need to go after, you know, and then we'll kind of change our, our focus a little bit with it and say, Hey, let's, let's, you know, let's go into our post player. Let's, let's make her defend in the post. So they understand a lot of that just through some scouts and some conversations and and what it looks like. I get asked that a lot about creating advantages for, you know, for driving. Uh, It's particularly when you might not have the best players to be able to ISO and break down players, Mm -hmm. but it is still possible. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you best do that, how you create these Mm -hmm. advantages and space for players. Well, I think skip passes are great for it. Uh, We talk a lot about skip passes um, and using skip passes within it because you are putting people, you know, closing out is just a very hard thing to teach. And it's a very hard thing for kids to do well consistently. So I, we try to use a lot of, of skip passes with it. Um, I think you saw uh, in what we do, we do some double gap stuff where, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll skip it to a kid that's a, a great penetrator and let her go after a double gap type stuff, which is a bigger gap, um, gives her a little bit more space. Um, we tell our kids a lot of times too, like, hey, if, you know, if you want to attack a gap, attack a gap of somebody that's a shooter on our team um, because a lot of times people aren't going to help off them. If so, we're going to get open looks from the three, you know? Um, So just getting them to recognize kind of all that um, it it takes a lot of time. I mean, you know, with our kids to, to do that, but I think those are some really easy ways. I mean, anytime you can get the ball into the middle of the paint, whether it's off the dribble and you're asking that defense to collapse, you know, uh, and then pass out and they have to retreat, you know, with that, uh, anytime you can get the ball into the the post, which we also call a paint touch, you know, with it, uh, and you have a post player that can play one on one. I mean, um, you know, you you can find some ways there as well. Whether it's Laker cuts, Celtic cuts, one on one, they have to adjust because they're getting, you know, beaten the post type stuff. Um, so we really try to to find the person and or or the matchups that really really fit to make those things work. But I think skip passes are a really good way to start some of that. 
I couldn't agree more. And the art of the skip pass is probably a little bit uh, in the past as you don't see the skip pass mm -hmm. versus man as much, but uh, highlighting two things from this and getting your comments on it in transition and in the half court, you're trying to attack the weak side of the floor. And the reason is, is because the defense is usually set down the middle or they're set in help. And then what mm -hmm. I guess you'll find throughout the game is that the team will adjust and start to not be as much in help and not be as much there. So it opens up other opportunities. Is that the mindset? Yeah. I, you know, I think uh, in everything we do, you know, I, I try to make them adjust to us and then uh, you know, and then we're going to throw something else out and we're going to throw our counter or whatever it is uh, at them to that. But um, you know, you're going to keep us from crossing the nail. Well, then we're just going to go right down that scene. You know, we're going to shove it down your throat till, till, uh, till you, you make it, let us cross the nail again. So, you know, I think um, you have to have the right personnel to do some of that. You know, I, I think um, with it and the right PG and, and those kind of things. Um, but I think there's always counters to any of that. And you talked about these game-based situations in your practices, which obviously help players connect this, this concept of whether to skip or not skip, for example, in a really simple way. Uh, are there certain things that you do with your defense um, guided to live in terms of helping your players on offense, particularly come up with the decision about what to yeah. do? Yeah. You know um, what I have found. Um, so, you know, at, at this level, it's hard to have practice players consistently. You know, I, I almost think it's hard to have practice players all around because a lot of times you want those kids to be athletes that and they're playing another sport. Well, now, you know, every sport is so year round. It's hard. It's hard to find them. Um, but, uh, what the way I, I do things, um, that I have found has really, really worked. And I, I did not learn this till a little bit later in my career, but if you're not able to have practice players, one of the things we do is we do, we start everything for us at the beginning of practice starts for us, us defensively, offensively. I don't care what you do. You know, we don't even as coaches, we don't really correct the offensive stuff. We don't focus on the offensive stuff. Like we'll say run a ball screen, but we're not going to give them te the technique of, technique of running a ball screen and, and, you know, those kind of things. So we really um, will ask the offense to do things we don't do. Uh, and a lot of situations, hey, go down screen, but I don't really care how they down screen, you know. Um, and then on about halfway through practice or whenever we feel like we need to, uh, we'll flip the switch. And so we'll flip it where now we're working all our offensive stuff and we'll ask defense to, hey, play half court man or play some gap. You know, they're not going to do it exactly right by any means with that kind of stuff, but it helps give us uh, an idea offensively of how to attack some things. So that has really worked, uh, has really worked well for us uh, when you don't have a scout team. Well, I love that coach. That's, that's such a great example to hit home. And a lot of coaches can relate to it from zone. If you don't play zone defense and all yeah. of a sudden you tell your players to play zone in practice, you still get perceptual reps, even if they aren't the best zone defense. And that's what right. you're kind of creating in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we may take a few, a couple of minutes to say, hey, here's a, a two, three zone. This is a basic two, three zone. These are your coverages. This is how it works. And then, you know, after that, we don't spend as much time with it. But um, but I, I do think it, it has really helped our kids too, but you do have to remind them like, you know, for, and your, and your assistant coaches, like, because sometimes, you know, defensively they'll do dumb stuff and you're like, Hey, we're not working on defense. So don't correct that dumb stuff when we're not working on it. Uh, but it's, it's been really good for us. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of great insights in terms of X and O's and how you're teaching. Uh, I know another big part of your program is the, the value of personal growth. 
and what mm -hmm. you call how-to days. Yeah. So can you explain yeah. those? Yeah, so we do um, personal growth and how-to days. And, um, you know, I started this last year during COVID with our kids. And um, we, and really, uh, you know, I didn't want to spend more time with them even just to get to know them. I had two new assistants. Um, and, you know, uh, and we, we were pretty much returners. We had a few new kids, but pretty much returners. But um, I wanted to, I, I think in whenever you do some personal growth or some how-to days, sometimes it can make you, your assistants and your team vulnerable. And I think that's a good way to become closer uh, with stuff when you talk about hard things or, um, you know, you go through uh, some, you know, like, for instance, example of one of the things we do. Um, I have them write their, their end of the year banquet speech. So what is Coach Egan going to say about you at the end of the year? And then I have them come up and, you know, they read it in front of the team. And that's not easy for them to do, you know. Uh, so I think it makes them a little bit vulnerable and they kind of get in those situations that put them uncomfortable that we can really bond and come together a little bit more as a team with it. Um, so we do all kinds of things. So um, we'll do whether, you know, what it looks like to be a great teammate um could be a personal growth day we'll do how-to days of how to leave a place better than you found it you know because you know one of the things i hate is we walk you know you you get done with the game and you look under the bench and there's five million stat sheets and five million empty cups well i don't think that that we should leave it that way you know so what does it look like after a game and if you don't teach kids a lot of that simple stuff they don't know or think to do it you know um, how do you leave a locker room at, at the opponent's place when we leave? What does it look like? Um, because if you don't teach them, I guarantee there's going to be tape and, and empty cups and that all over. So um, we really just have those, those days where we can teach them little things sometimes uh, that could lead to big things, even maybe outside of uh, basketball or outside of, of uh, their college years. Those are some great examples. And I'm curious then in this process of these how-to days, are these like meetings? Are these formal get-togethers? Are these guest speakers? How are you doing this? All kinds of stuff. Yeah. So um, it can be, I can lead it. The kids can lead it. Um, you know, our, my assistants can lead it. Uh, we brought in uh, two uh, uh, deputy sheriffs the other day that did a self-defense class to teach them how to like be aware of their surroundings um, because, you know, kids are on their phone all the time now. So to be aware of their surroundings. So like, we'll bring people in or, um, you know, we'll do it ourselves or, or the kids will lead it sometimes. Um, and that's, I think what's makes it fun about it is it's not always just, uh, sometimes it's videos, sometimes it's talk, sometimes it's um, projects. It's not always the same thing. And, you know, at the end of the year, last year, um, I sat down with each of our kids, uh, end of the year talks and just asked them some things about our program, you know, the first year and what they thought and those kind of things. And they're all like, can we please do continue to do PG and how to days in postseason? Uh, they just really like it because I think it it really does help them think about other things besides just basketball. Love it, and uh, the cleaning up the bench example is so great. And it's almost I don't want to maybe annoying is too strong, but when I see an example on Twitter of someone posting that saying, "Oh, we cleaned up our locker room," don't don't we feel like that should just be the norm and not something that we have to celebrate? Uh, like <laughs> that you're making somebody's yeah. day better and not worse is the ultimate service, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I agree with all that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I think, yeah, I, I go obviously back and forth with stuff and, you know, it, it's, our kids have a lot of different stuff on their plate than I did when I played. And, 
uh, it's just different. So, um, where I think some of that is very, very easy and, and I naturally did some of that, you know, um, it, it's just a different world that we live in and you got to be willing to grow and help them grow within that. I think. Well, that's great. And, and to, to what you're saying though, the players buy in, they like it, right? Oh, they love it. Yeah. I, w- I was kind of curious, uh, how, what they would think of it, you know, and, uh, they just love it. Like they come to practice now and they're like, Hey, is today a PG day? Uh, it's today a how-to day, you know, um, no, they, they really, really like it. So, um, I, I think it's been beneficial and I think more than anything, it's going to be beneficial for them throughout their lives. Coach, another big part of your philosophy is surrounding yourself with good people. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to meet some of your staff and uh, they traveled with you to the clinic and, uh, that was pretty impressive in and of itself. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I made the point to kind of say, even at the clinic, like, you know, when I hired Jordan and I hired Addie. Uh, and now my current uh, GA, uh, Taylor, uh, I didn't know those three prior to hiring them. Um, you know, I, I got to know them through just conversations, uh, interest that they had in, in, in the job, interest I had in them. Uh, and, you know, I did obviously my research on them. But, you know, for me, and, and I really, really believe this, uh, how I've gotten to where, where I am is because I've really, really surrounded myself with good people. My, my assistants when I was at Truman were phenomenal you know, uh, and, and prior to that at Ashford and so forth with it. But, um, I I just think that's so important, you know, and and that goes beyond just, you know, your, my staff, um, my players, man, they're good, good people, you know, and and I think that's where it starts for me. And something I've found that makes it enjoyable for me is to, to have good people around me. And if you have those, those type of people around you, I think you can do some really, really good things, whether it's in your program or in life and, and so forth. So, um, you know, once I know they're good people, you know, we'll look at uh, all the other things. And I really try to hire people that uh, that compliment me that are my weaknesses. Um, and I think, again, if you can do those kind of things and you're very um, confident enough to know that what your weaknesses are uh, and you can hire those people, I think you have a chance to, to do some really nice things. So, uh, again, that's just something that I've always um, lived by. Um, you know, I, I, some people I probably had three, four, five, six, uh, I don't know how many D1 people. It's not about, you know, D1. It's not about D2. It's not about NAI. It's about the people first. Uh, and then after that, what what else they bring to the program. Yeah, it makes coaching easier, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, coach, maybe the most important contribution you can make to the coaching landscape is just some advice on coaches, whether it's high school, college, et cetera. They're in a good job. And they're successful mm-hmm. in that good job, but there comes a point where it's like, what more can we do? Or what more are we willing to do here? And that's really hard, isn't it? Cause you know, you're safe and you know, you're secure, but yeah. you want more. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think in your mind, you have to, to really know and, and believe there's always a way, you know, whatever that is. Uh, if you want more, there's always a way. And uh, it may not be an easy road to get there. Uh, it may not be uh, a road that maybe you thought you were going to take, um, but there's always a way to get to, to somewhere that you want. And I think, uh, again, it starts with being a good person and then, you know, finding just really finding ways. Um, I, I think one of the neat things about the coaching world that I love is that, like, everybody really does want to help everybody out, you know, whether it's X's nose, whether it's. Um, you know, helping, talking with them and guiding them, any of that kind of stuff. I think everybody really does want to help each other out. Um, but you have to sometimes take the initiative uh, to, to do those things to make things happen for you. Um, you know, our GA told me the other day, she's like, 
you know, when the, when the jury job opened, I was like, well, I don't even know why I apply. I, I'm not going to get that. And her dad was like, why wouldn't you apply? Go get it, you know, type stuff. And so I think like, um, and I think in her mind, she initially thought there's no way, but she just kept, she just kept going, you know, and, and finding a way and reaching out and those kind of things. So I think that's the biggest thing is just understanding that, like, you may not be in a position that you want to be in. Um, you may not have found anything near what you want yet, but there's always a way to get there. You just got to keep building. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep believing more than anything. Uh, great advice. Great stuff. And uh, that pandemic really showed us how coaches will rally around each other and support each other. And there's probably no better time in learning for coaches than during that time when everyone got on a Zoom and shared. So, yeah. yeah. And I cannot 100%. thank you enough for doing it again, coach. Uh, thank you for You're sharing welcome. the game with us. You're welcome. Anytime. Hey, coach. Brief interruption of our podcast to talk about basketballimmersion.com. The best player development is coach development. Many websites will provide you ideas on what to teach with a massive content dumping. Our website shares what to teach too, but with a focus on how to teach, how to add challenges, how to create random practice, how to create game-like training, how to connect and transfer practice skills to game applications, and so much more, including 70-plus master classes from coaches from around the world. Basketball Immersion is an online basketball coach education platform. Go to basketballimmersion.com to learn more today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm-hmm.